Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week my guest is Golf Week senior writer and USA contributor Steve DiMeglio. Steve is in Mexico City, where this week the PJ Tour stop is at the WGC Mexico Championship. And before we get into previewing that event, Steve and I on the podcast you're about to hear put a big pretty red bow on the West Coast swing. We talked a lot about what to make of Tiger Woods' West Coast swing, where he tied for ninth at Torrey Pines, but came in 68th at Riviera. Once again, not getting it done at Riv. We talked a lot about Roy McIlroy and what to think of him, the new world number one, who had a very successful West Coast swing but did not win. We also talked a little bit about Brooks Kepka. We talked about Justin Thomas. We talked about Dustin Johnson. And finally, Phil Mickelson and what to make of where Phil's game is right now. Phil Mickelson missed the cut at Riviera, but he had a really good run through Saudi Arabia and then nearly won at Pebble Beach a couple weeks ago. Then um, Steve and I get into exactly what to make out of the golf course and the altitude and everything that goes into the WGC Mexico Championship. So you're definitely going to want to stick around and listen to this. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Back Book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So I'd like to welcome in the aforementioned Steve DiMeglio, who is in Mexico, or actually just outside Mexico City, to be a little more precise. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, still trying to catch my breath, uh, trying to get my lungs adjusted here to the thin air, um, and it's uh, been a battle so far for two days. Well, before we sort of get in, and I really want to do some good preview stuff of the WGC Mexico Championship, which is... What's going to be taking place on the PGA Tour as well as the European Tour this week? I want to put a bow a little bit on the West Coast swing. It, it felt like it was a really successful, fun run of golf um, that we had, obviously starting with a couple of events at the beginning of the year in Hawaii, but really getting going once we got into Phoenix, then Pebble, um, some of the other events. What am I supposed to take away at this point from what we saw from Tiger Woods? Not to sort of bury the lead, he was T9 at Torrey Pines. Um, had a disappointing finish, obviously, last week at Riviera at the Genesis Invitational. Finished there 68. Where is Tiger's game right now, and what, what are your sort of make of it coming out of the West Coast? Well, it's basically where is his back. Um, and it's going to be like that, I, I think, until he's done playing. Um, but this is the first time, you know, at, uh, at Riviera, this is the first time he had played that poorly in a long, long time. Um you know, some people were forgetting that he won in the fall. He won his 82nd title at Zozo. Mm-hmm. He looked great. He was by far the best player at the President's Cup in December. Um, he played okay at the Hero World Challenge, his own ch- tournament in the Bahamas. 
And in his first tournament of 2020, he looked okay. Um, especially he was very healthy uh, at Torrey Pines and he's had for ninth. And so I think everybody's expecting him, especially after he got off to the start he did on Thursday, that, yeah, this is the Tiger we're going to see for the foreseeable while. And uh, then it just flipped. Um, he talked about a stiff back. Um, Joey Lacava, his caddy, said he didn't become concerned until, really concerned until the final round on Sunday when he bogeyed five of his last six holes. Um, but there are going to be weeks like this. Tiger has told us this, and yet it's still hard to take. Uh, so I have no idea where Tiger is right now. Um, one, we don't know where, when he's going to play again. Um, he could play next week at Honda, um, or he could play at Arnie's the following week, or he could, you know, miss both of those and play uh, the Players' Championship. Uh, mm. and we, we just don't know. So until we see him again, until we see his mood and how he's walking and all that, and, you know, physically he looked as good as he's looked in a long, long time this fall at Zozo, and he looked pretty down and out at the rib. So, again, it's I, my take is as good as anybody else's take. I just don't know. So one of the things is you're sort of explaining that, and I think it's totally legitimate. I would, I'm going to ask you a question that we used to ask, but in a, in a, it's going to come out in a little bit different way, in that are our expectations for Tiger Woods at this point unrealistic in terms of I think that there's a perception or there's an idea out there that he's either going to win or going to be contending just about every week. And I think that stems from the fact that, as you mentioned, he won the Zozo and looked great. He looked fantastic for the three matches that he played in the President's Cup and and tactically probably played it just right in terms of how much he played, when he played, when he rested, making sure that the back was in good shape. And, and he just looked fantastic in that final singles match against Abraham Amser you know, really answering the bell there. He comes out and plays at Tory, and as I mentioned, doesn't win, but but doesn't you know play badly. Certainly a top ten finish. You can never be ashamed of a top ten, but doesn't look good at Riv. And a lot of the people are going to say and sort of ask the questions. You know, well, what's wrong with you know? And, and I'm you know starting off this podcast by asking you, like, what's the state of his game? Are we not really being fair? Have we not really sort of like as as a as golf fans and maybe golf journalists sort of come to understand that with all the mileage that's on the back and all of the wear and tear and everything that he's been through that we almost need to sort of appreciate when he's playing well and not necessarily expect every single week is going to be a win or a top three or he's in one of the final pairings. Are, are we still just unrealistic about exactly where he is right now? I think we mo- we are because we were spoiled by him. Um, I mean, in my lifetime, nobody played golf like that. Um, and you, like you said, I mean, there was a time when the betting line was you want Tiger Woods or you want the field. Right. And that was on Thursday morning before the first tee shot was hit. That's how good he was. That's how much in contention he was in. Um, and then, you know, yes, we did see him hurt, and we saw him hurt for a long time, and there was the possibility that he would never play again. And then he comes back. And I think as soon as he starts hitting the swing in the golf club, our mind goes to those times when he dominated before it goes to those times when he was hurt. Mm-hmm. I think that's a natural reflection for me. I don't know what it is for others, but I instantly start thinking about, okay, if he's healthy, he's going to be as good as anybody out here. Um, that's where my mind goes. So well, 
we've we've seen that because I mean, just as you sort of mentioned, when he's healthy and when things seem to be going well, and we just don't know what those weeks are going to be, we get what we got in Japan, we get what we got in Australia. In Australia, he was arguably the best player, you know, on either team. He was sensational. His iron game was tremendous. He putted those greens well. Um, you know, in Japan, it was he was clearly the best guy. So when when everything's going, we're getting teased. You know, in some ways, we're getting teased back into that unrealistic sort of expectation level. I agree. I mean, and is that fair? I don't know. I mean, I think we're starting to get the realization that we have to start thinking about the first thing we think about is is he going to make it to the end of the week? Mm healthy is he yep. going to make it to the end of the week where he's not in pain that's what we should be thinking about instead of thinking oh is he going to win this week um you know nobody's ever ever going to do what he used what he did i i know they said that when jack was done doing that we would never see it again in the long king tiger um and so yeah it could happen but i mean we're talking about a guy that just absolutely dominated the game for so long and made us think, okay, we are watching the greatest that's ever hit a golf ball. And it's hard to get that out of your mind and to think about the times when he's on the ground on his knees because his back just gave out. Or when he, he's grimacing because he just took a big swing and his knee hurts or his back hurts or his neck hurts. Um, we just have to take into consideration the man's now 44. Um, and, you know, he's not 34 anymore. He's not 24 anymore. But I think maybe my expectation would be I hope to see, I expect, if he's healthy, to see a couple of more Zozos before he's done, a couple mm-hmm. more Augusta Nationals before he's done, 2019. And maybe that's how we should look at it. Um, how much fight, but, Steve, uh, you do, know, you, do you think that he, Tiger still has left in him? Because one of the things that I think every golfer out there and other athletes from other sports admired about him when he was really at the peak of his power is that he had the ability to turn a bad day into an okay day and an okay day into a great one. And what I mean by that is when he, when he didn't have it, he fought like hell to get every single shot he could out of a round. And a lot of times that turned what should have been a 74 or 75 into a 70. And that saved him and kept him around till he found something and could put himself in contention to win a tournament. Or he took what should have been a pedestrian day you know, 70 or 71 and turn it into 68 and the same thing would happen. I wonder if at this point, given that from week to week and maybe even from day to day, Tiger, like us, is sort of wondering exactly what his body's going to give him when he's out of contention now on a Saturday or Sunday or the likelihood of him at a golf course like Riviera being able to go out and post 64 or 65 and then have the leaders behind him shoot 72. So he makes a big leap on a Saturday or certainly on a Sunday. How much fight do you think he still has at this point? Or how much do you think he's like, you know what? I want to play as well as I can, but I also want to make sure that I walk out of here on my own two feet and that I'm not going to be jeopardizing the rest of my 2020 season and beyond. Yeah. And that, that certainly is on his mind. Um, and again, this is as fierce a competitor as we've ever seen on the golf course Agreed. in my lifetime. Um, and, you know, there's a reason he made all those cuts in a row. And there's a reason he's, he's missed so few cuts. It's because he did fight to make that cut, even though, you know, his realistic chances were thin or were, were low 
of winning the tournament. He wanted to make that cut. He didn't want to see that MC next to his name. But I think naturally as you get older and as you've piled up the days and the weeks and the months and the years of the pain that he has gone through, it takes a toll. And I think it's, it's natural to take a toll knowing, okay, here I am. I'm fighting like hell to just make the cut and be tied for 68 going into Saturday and Sunday. Is the fight the same that, that it used to be? I I don't think it can be. I, I, I think it's unrealistic to think it's the same type of fight. Mm-hmm. But if it's you know, if he's struggling, but he's there at the 12, the f- same fight that we used to see will be there. But, you know, when you're on Saturday and you've made the cut near the number on the number and you're shooting another roll round, how much do you dig in, especially if your back is nagging at you? Um, and especially if you don't know when you're going to play again. I mean, I think it's just natural that even the fiercest of all fighters just can't do it anymore. You just can't do it anymore. Sometimes you just can't, no matter how much you will yourself to try and do it. John Elway talked about that when he retired. Peyton Manning talked about that when he retired. I think Mickey Mantle talked about that when he retired. You reach a point where you just can't do it anymore. Um, and hopefully that's down the road a ways with Tiger. But naturally right now, yeah, I I think there are times when he's not going to be the same type of fighter we've come to enjoy and come to admire uh, in the past two decades. You, t- uh, you talked a little bit. Exactly right. Yeah, you talked a little bit, Steve, about his schedule. And once we get through this week at the WGC Mexico, which Tiger is not playing this week, um, he's got the potential for a home game playing at PJ National. Um, he's got the potential then to play in Windermere, Florida, former what would have been a former home game at Bay Hill. Then the Players Championship. Assuming he's going to play the Players Championship, what would you assume? And he's he has said that he liked the format. At the WGC match play, um, which is going to be in Austin, Texas, if I'm not mistaken, um, after the Players' Championship, what do you think his schedule most likely will be? Do you think he plays two weeks in a row and then the match play? Or do you think that he goes on again, off again, on again, sort of doing Honda off and then players and then take it from there? Unless his back is hurting far more than he's letting on. If it is just the fact that he he said he was stiff on Sunday. If that was it, he can get over that. He's going to rest up this week, he told us. He's going to rest up, and then he's going to start training again. Now, if that's the case, uh, he said, he used the words, I'm going to rest up this week, this coming week. So then he wouldn't start training until, let's say, Sunday at the earliest and Monday. I don't think he'd be ready for Honda, the home game. Mm-hmm. So if his back is fine, I think he would play Arnie's and then go to Players. And then take the week off, which is Valspar, and then he played WGC, and then yeah. take the week off, and then go to Augusta. Yeah. That's what I think. That would give him five stars before Augusta, just as he had last year. Um, so, you know, again, we won't know until he publicly either sure. um, applies to play, you know, is going to play in Arnie's or plays. You know, this Friday we could find out that he's playing in Honda. Yeah. Um, and that would change everything. All I know is, I, don't, I can't remember the last time he played three weeks in a row, um, yeah. but I can't see him playing Honda, Arnie, and the players. And I cannot see out of those three, the one that he wouldn't play, I can't see that being the players. Yeah, he no, I, I 100% agree. I think that the so, backlash, if, if he were to 
if he were to play one or two and then skip players, I think the backlash would be swift. If unless he sort of came out and said, "Look, it's just not there," um, I think the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan, they they want that to be the premier event of the season. And Tiger has played well; he's won there. Um, there's no, I, I I agree. I think that that it makes sense for him to just really cool the Jets, do whatever treatments, training stuff like that that he needs to over the course of this week, then pick up the sticks again, start hitting some balls, show up at Arnie's place if he's able to, then. He's, he plays two, two weeks, gets some rest. The match play, I think, is a great environment for him. It really lets him play some shots. And he's talked about how that helped him get ready for the Masters. So I, I, I'm yeah. I, like you. You would know better than I would. But but trying to read between the lines, as we all are, boy, it sounds to me like he wants to play in Austin. And so that, to me, sounds like it's good. One guy who had just a sterling West Coast swing, but didn't win was Rory McIlroy. T3 at Torrey Pines, T5 at Riviera. You know, boy, it it felt like he was going to win at Riv. I just thought that there were too many birdies that he was going to make on Sunday for Matt Kuchar to be able to keep up with. I wasn't 100% sure exactly what we were going to get from Adam Scott. Um, He putted just well enough, certainly on Sunday. But Rory McIlroy is the number one player in the world at this point. At the same time, you know, Brooks Kepkin not being number one, or not losing that one number one, but but not being 100% with the knee problems that he's had. Is Rory the best player right now on the planet based on what you saw on the West Coast? I would say I would put him one, John Rahm two, uh, Justin Thomas three, in, in the past six to eight months. Um, the one thing that sticks with me with uh, Rory is once again, he had a poor Sunday yeah. at Riv. He had a poor Sunday at Torrey. He had a few poor Sundays last year when he was in contention. But I always remind myself, he's always in contention. I mean, I can't remember the last time he wasn't in contention on Sunday. And so Rory is just, yeah, he, he's the best. If I could be somebody right now going forward this year, I would be Rory McIlroy. Because um, he's going to be in contention. I, I'd be shocked if he's not in contention this week here in Mexico. Um, I'd be shocked if he's not in in uh, contention the next time he plays after Mexico. Um, he is just that good. John Rahm's the same type of thing. Um, he, he's been in contention far times more on Sunday than not. Um, Justin Thomas is Justin Thomas. You know, he missed the cut at Riv, um, and, you know, that was an aberration. Um, I think he'll come back and play well here in Mexico because he's, you know, he's worthy of that, I think, number three or number four spot in the world. Um I think also who's rounding in the shape is Dustin Johnson. Um, it's, you know, those, that, that, that's a quartet of just really top talent. Yeah. Um, Dustin, I don't know how many putts inside 10 feet he missed last week at Rim. <laughs> um, and he kept staying in, in it and staying in it and staying in it. And I just think once he finds that putter, and I think he will, he's going to be right up there with Rory. He's going to be right up there with Brooks if Brooks gets healthy and becomes Brooks again. Right up there with Rom, right up there with JT, um, and that's a pretty big fivesome. So, but right now, Rory, um, you know, if he can get out of his own way on Sunday more times than not, like he did at the Tour Championship, like he did, um, I'm sorry, like he did at the Tour Championship, and like he did at HSBC Champions when he won the uh, most recent WGC event. Um, if he could do that more often than not. 
yeah, I, I think he'd be uh, clearly the number one player. It was something that I learned watching Riviera. I was not there, not at that event, but it was so clear that that golf course, once again, rewarded the ball strikers and and not the putters. I mean, you just sort of see that that Rory did not have an especially good putting week, and the ball striking and the distance and all the stuff that he does with the drive. He didn't even drive the ball especially well by his standards. And he T5s it. And I looked at Hideki Matsuyama, who had a, a good finish, and his, his putting was awful. Um, Adam Scott was was really all over the place. He putted well when he absolutely had to, but but he left a lot of them out there, and I'm sure he would say that as well. Um, it's just the new way that the game is played, you know, that, that, that guys can just ball strike these places into submission. And when they catch the hot week – like Rory can with a putter, like Rom can with a putter. Certainly when I agree, when Dustin Johnson works it out, it's it's almost impossible to picture how they lose, you know, because they're just giving themselves so many opportunities. The last guy I want to talk to talk with you about, Steve, about uh what we're gonna take away from the West Coast swing is Phil Mickelson. So Mickelson leading up to Riviera where he missed the cut, obviously I, I would have been shocked had he made the cut. Phil has played so much golf all over the place. He went to the Middle East, he played I think it was five weeks in a row. Um, the Pebble Beach golf that we saw was encouraging. There were a lot of good things that happened there. Again, I thought that it was going to happen for him on Sunday, and it didn't. He had a good finish when he did play in Saudi Arabia. Is Phil going into you know, the start of the Masters push and as we head into the Florida swing? Is, do, you, do you think that he's sort of right where he wants to be? Like the game is sort of rounding into form. And forget the whole you know hitting bombs and this and that. His fitness seems good. Um, I think he really needs to charge his batteries because he seems tired from playing too much. But overall, his fitness seems good. The game looks like it's coming into form. He's made some good shots. He's certainly shown that he can recover, as we know he he always ha- can. And I'm just thinking, that uh, are we getting primed for another fill run at Augusta National here in a few weeks? Well, I would say uh, more likely yes than no if the course is leading up to Augusta he likes. I mean, he doesn't particularly like um, those won there at Arnie's. He's had some troubles at Arnie's golf course at Bay Hill. He's won once at TPC Sawgrass at the Players' Championship. And that year that he won, he said, I can't believe I won around this place. Um, he's played well once at uh, Austin. So I, there's not really one of his favorite golf courses from here until he gets to Augusta. Mm-hmm. Um, but So I think... What you said, I think the most important thing for him is recharging the batteries. He, I think he was not only physically drained when he got to LA, but he was mentally drained. Had to be. You know, he had a chance to win. In, he had a chance to win in Saudi Arabia. He definitely had a chance to win at Pebble, and you know, so he's, he knows it's right there for him. He could become the all-time. He could become the prince of Pebble. He could be the only one to win there six times. He's right there, and then he played like he did on the back nine, um, which, you know, missing short shots, missing, missing, you know, short approach shots by 20, 30 yards. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you were watching going, what, what just happened to Phil? So I think he needed a week off. Um, so he had committed and, you know, if he's going to commit to something, he's going to go through with it. And that's why he played at LA, you know, and I think in his back was mine. Hey, look at him hoping lightning strikes here. And if not, okay. I'll have, you know, Mexico the week off of Mexico. I don't think he's playing Honda. Um, I'm not sure if he'll play Arnie's or not. Um, maybe he rejuices his batteries three times, goes to the Players' Championship, 
close to Mexico, um, and we'll go from there. But I think he really needed a break, um, especially he's 49 years old. I yeah. mean, he's going to turn 50, 50 in June. Um, it's not easy. I know he says he's in the best shape he's been in in his life. Yeah, but but, but that kind of travel, you know, Steve. You and I both know that the travel that he just completed is is draining. I don't care if you're flying private. I don't care if you're staying in the nicest hotel and you've got the show. Like it, it just takes a toll. You know, for people who thankfully don't have to do it all that often, it sounds really glamorous and it sounds wonderful. And for short spurts, it can be. But when you're away from home, literally for a month and you've got another week to go, I just think it's human nature to sort of kick in and be like, you know what, I want to play well, but if I if I miss the cut, I'm not going to be really heartbroken. As you said, the game is there. There were chances that were there. I was frankly surprised that he didn't get it done at Pebble. He, he played atrociously down the stretch. He should have won. And Phil Mickelson should have classed that field, and he should have closed the deal, and I think it would have meant so much to him to to win at Pebble Beach. There is There are very few players that seem as perfectly suited for a venue and a co- and a golf course like Phil Mickelson and Pebble. Lots of risk reward, funky greens, the 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 instances and the places where he can socialize and hang out. I don't think that the long rounds bother him as much as they bother other players. I think he loves the atmosphere. He's got family history that that people have talked about, you know, quite a few times that he loves that place. And I and I I was really surprised that he didn't get it done. Um if he needs to take two or three weeks off to, to recharge the batteries, I hope he does because the the game is more fun to watch and the theater that it creates is better when Mickelson is a part of it. Um, it just it just is. I'm not saying that you know I'm rooting for the guy or not, but but just the fact remains that he brings an energy to a golf tournament and gets fans and and everybody buzzing like only a few players out there, like basically the guys that we've talked about, but but he's a big deal. And at age 49, there aren't going to numerically be nearly as many of those things for him as there will be for a lot of the younger players. It's just a fact of life. So let's take a look ahead to the WGC Mexico. You're there. I have never been to uh, to this particular venue. So for, for people who may not be really aware about and, and know a lot about Club de Golf Chapultepec, tell me about it. What's it like? Well, it's a quirky golf course, up and down, you know, it's a hilly. Um, but most importantly, it's 7,800 feet above sea level. So, as I wrote today, uh, think about Coors Field. And if you're a baseball fan, you know how the ball flies at Coors Field, how the, you know, it's a hitter's ballpark. Now add 2,600 more feet. Put that <laughs> stadium up 2,600 more feet in the Rockies. Um, and now you get this place here in Mexico. Um, we watched Gary Woodland hit, fly the ball 355 yards with a driver, and he was only going at it like 90%. We saw today, uh, Tuesday, the first time that a lot of these guys got to the course, Bryson DeChambeau really went after one of his drivers, and it flew 397. Or as Bryson DeChambeau said, it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic golf. You can't relate this to anything else. It's unrealistic. You know, eight irons going 210, 215. Six irons going 250. Hybrids going 310. Um, and so Trackman is really, really getting worked overtime. Hey, ever hear about the ex-football star who robbed a Brinks truck and tucked $400,000 under his arm like a football and escaped using an inner tube? No? 
you'll want to listen to season one of The Sneak, a podcast by For the Win and USA Today Sports. Here, take a quick listen to the man who actually pulled that off. In 2008, a former D1 football star pulled off a robbery so daring and so strange that it went viral worldwide. It was a perfect crime story. There was just one problem. It wasn't the real story of what happened. The Sneak is a new, serialized true crime podcast from For the Win and USA Today Sports. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or get it anywhere you get podcasts on Tuesday, January 14th. So, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I get it. But but to my point, I'm just sort of, as I'm sort of listening and shaking my head to, to these numbers and, and a lot of these different things, should we be holding a World Golf Championship in an event at a venue like this? I mean, it sounds like video game golf. It sounds like something you would plug in, you know, to my Xbox and set everything to 100 skill. And all of a sudden, I've got a guy who can fly at 375, you know, and, and is hitting, you know, lob wedge, you know, 180. But that to me is almost like not realistic golf. Forget like all the stuff with the distance report that came out. Like, this is just crazy. Should we be playing one of the theoretically the most elite events on the calendar in a place like this? Well, I, I, I don't see any, uh, that big of a deal with it. I mean, yes, the scoring is high. Um, 17 under, 18 under is going to win. 16 under is going to win. 20 under might win. Um, but it's not a piece of cake. It really isn't. I mean, uh, the greens are already firm and they're already bouncy, and we got, we're going to get nothing but 80 degrees in the air uh, all week long. So by the come Sunday, they're going to be really fast and firm. Um, I think the players – look it. There's players that really enjoy the Waste Management Phoenix Open once a year. Right. I think the players really enjoy this once a year. I think it's like, you know, it's like Gary Woodland said, hey, it's great for the ego. I feel like <laughs> I'm Cameron Champ, who's by far the longest. I feel like I'm 23 years old again. Yeah. Um, and Bryson, Bryson talked about you have to check your ego at that first tee because, yeah, you want to tell yourself, I can hit this 9-iron 240, I mean 230. I can get it there, but is that the proper shot you want to hit? Right. And like I said, these guys' track band is working overtime. You've got to get your, your ball dialed in. A lot of the players are going to a skinnier ball this week because mm-hmm. um, that will help control ball flight and, and control distance control. But, you know, you guys, they get off the plane and they're gasoline for air, which is the natural thing when you come from sea level and you go to 7,800 feet in the air. Um, and so they've got to get their body acclimated. Um, and Billy Horschel said one of the keys for him is you force yourself to drink a ton of water before you go to bed. Right. So your body can play catch up. Um, and so a lot of them are doing that. Um, and like you said, uh, chipping isn't going to be easier on these greens. You know, some of the grass around here is spongy and, and squishy and, and it, it grabs the ball. But, uh, yeah, they're, like the first hole. Bryson DeChambeau is going to hit hybrid. If there's no wind into him, he's going to hit hybrid and he's going to drive the green. That's a par four. Um, and there's a couple other drivable par fours. Uh, but the par threes are stout. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's just a week we're going to see 16, 18 under. But we've seen that at, at, at in China at the yep. WGC uh, HB, HSBC champions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I you know, Firestone Tiger. <laughs> You know, Tiger was a 15, 16 under a bunch of times, a few times at Firestone. Um, we know Olafaba won there one year, I think 18 under and 20 some under. And so, um, I, I think what it does is it's a different challenge for the players and it's that challenge once a year. Um, yeah. okay. 
they do play up in Reno. Uh, some players, not the, the best players in the world, but some players play in Reno. Like Gary Woodland won in Reno. Um, and that's up in the mountains. We used but to play. Once a year, yeah, we used to play once a year. They played a different challenge. Once a year, they used to play the um, up at Castle Pines, and yeah. and they would play Stableford, and it was it was unique and it was a fun venue. It's kind of sad that there really isn't a an event uh, a regular PGA Tour stop in the Denver, Colorado area, big golf town, um, and that was fun. And you would hear guys talk about yeah. the adjustments that they would make there. Who do you think, generally speaking? A golf course that has this kind of setup, where the altitude plays such a big critical role, and you're doing a lot of calculations and a lot of tinkering, is it something that favors the bigger hitters already because they're just getting even longer than they were, or does this kind of a venue really help in some ways some of the guys who aren't quite, you know, the Dustin Johnsons and and the Rory McIlroys and the John Rahms of the world, um, who are going to be able to still move the ball and they're going to get a little more flight? Does it, or does it basically just do the same thing to everybody? Is there one type of player that can benefit from from the altitude and what it does more than the others? Well, we can look at it. DJ won in 17, Phil won in 18, DJ won in 19. Rory was second last year. Um, JT was second to Phil, lost in a playoff in 18. Yep. So right there, you got five bombers, you know. I've got five instances of bombers being right there. Um, most people say the longer the, you hit the ball, the better. The higher you hit the ball, the better. Um, so, you know, I, you, you still have to hit fairways here. Okay. And because if you miss a fairway, now you're adding the rough into your equation, which is already driving you batty. Hmm. Um, you know, the mental the mental game this year, we, you, players are going to hear from their caddy. Yeah, we get 230. I think we should hit seven iron. That plays mind games. Absolutely. You know, they're going to play, they're going to have to really seriously, and I, they're standing over the ball. Can I really get this seven iron 235? Really? And so they might take a little more oomph and might go at it a little harder, which they shouldn't do. But well, like Gary Woodland says, I don't want to know the number I've got to the target. I want to know the adjusted number. So if he's got 215, he doesn't want to hear his caddy go, we got 215, because right away, Woodland would think 5-iron, because that's what he hits 5-iron on sea level. He wants to hear the adjusted number, 180. Then he knows, okay, that's my 8-iron, so I'm going to hit 8-iron. So his mind is telling him already, yes, 8-iron is the proper play. I've got to hit it 180. That's what his brain is telling him, even though he's got 215. So that is one way to combat the mental game here. Um, but... Uh, as far as this week, Dustin Johnson, certainly, because he's won two of the last three years. Justin Thomas is going to be right there. Last week's winner, I mean, who's a better ball striker than Adam Scott? I, I have never um, I've never seen one. I, that guy is majestic well, when it comes to the Tiger long Woods. balls. Well, yeah, I, it's Tiger just, Woods was, well, yeah. I, I guess we can both say, like, you know, the guys that trained with Butch Harmon in the early 2000s were, were, were pretty well taught and seemed to come out of the mold. I'll tell you, you know, there's one guy that I'm worried about right now. And, again, it's not our job to worry about anybody. Um I'm concerned for Jordan Spieth this week, and the reason for that is that Jordan, you know, coming out of of Riv, um, coming out of the West Coast swing, um, he had a at a top ten for the first time in a long time at Pebble Beach, but really hasn't done much else. You look at his driving numbers, his his long game numbers. He has a strokes gain negative both off the tee and approach shots, and Jordan Spieth's game right now with his long clubs is not good. And so far this season, he also ranks 179th in putting. Now, I, I'm a Jordan Spieth believer. I will buy all the stock 
in Jordan Spieth's putting that anybody wants to sell me because I just think he has got it. He turned it around last year, and I think that early on in the season, I don't totally buy into the strokes gain putting numbers for Spieth because we just haven't. It's it's eleven measured rounds. The eleven measured rounds though does, and, I'm, and I realize I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth on this one. It does concern me with the driving and the approach game, the irons, because he had all off season to try and get that stuff right. And it doesn't feel like it's totally right. And so I realize he's made a grip change. I realize that some things, there are some good shots here. There's a lot of inconsistency at Riviera. And when you start to factor in all the stuff with the altitude that you're talking about, the importance of hitting fairways because the rough is going to be challenging. The short game areas are going to be challenging. That does not sound like the kind of place right now where Jordan Spieth tries to continue and make ground on this comeback. What, what do you think? No, it's not. And, and there's a lot of similarities with him and Phil Mickelson in the lead-up to Augusta. Outside of Valspar, there's really not a golf course that Jordan Spieth loves from now until he, he gets to Augusta. You know, he's never played particularly well at uh, at uh, TPC Sawgrass just for that first time he was there, and that was a few years ago. Um I, I can't think of him playing very well at Honda. Um, I don't know if he's ever played Honda. Um, he's won at Valspar, yes. Um, he hasn't played particularly well at uh, at Austin, Texas in the match play. Um, so, again, uh, there isn't a place where he can go and really feel comfortable, especially now that he's got a new grip that's added five degrees, you know, to his, you know, to his loss. And, you know, he's just... There's all sorts of different things he's working around with his mind, but um, he did it with success from 2013 to 2017. You know, he was always tinkering back then. He was always trying to get better and, and working on this and working on that. Wasn't fully satisfied, but work for him there just hasn't since then. Um, and yeah, I'd be, I, I think it'd be a big ask for him to turn it around here uh, at 7,800 feet when he really doesn't have control over his long irons and his driver and his three wood uh the control that he would like mm-hmm. so yeah it, it might be another lost week for jordan um but he'll stay positive and he'll go from here but uh yeah it, it, this would be a place for him it, this is a it, he'd be hard pressed to play very very well here this week yeah i i think it's it's a big ask I, and again i'm sort of just concerned with you know the overall kind of thing um what do you make about the, the the players? We've talked about some guys who are not in the field this week. Tiger's not in the field. Mickelson's not in the field. Kepka's not in the field. Um, Justin Rose is not in the field. What is this a concern? Or do, do some of the guys, do you think, schedule things up at this point in the early part, in January and February, their, their first part of their season, put things together? Do they look at this golf course and this golf tournament and say, you know what? That's not for me. Just like some guys might take a look at the Waste Management Phoenix Open and say, like, you know what? That atmosphere once a year is fine for everybody else. I don't even want it once a year, and I'm just going to respectfully sidestep that tournament on my schedule. Um, There's a lot of guys who could play it, but obviously aren't. Is that a concern for the WGC and for the, I suppose, for the the PGA Tour that that they've got that many big-name guys who are choosing not to play this? Well, I'm not concerned. Um... Look, and you can go individually. Patrick Cantley, top 10 player, is not here, but he's having surgery for a septum. Okay. You know, he's been having trouble getting to sleep, and so he had to take care of that if he wanted to be ready for the Players' Championship, and that's what he's doing. 
Um, in the case of Bruce Kepka, there's no way he was going to play three weeks in a row with that knee. So he wasn't going to go play Riv, then play here, and then play Honda. And he's definitely playing Honda. Um, Phil, I, I'm not sure when he might have thought to himself, I might not be eligible to play Mexico. Right, good point. So if that's the case, I'm going to add this tournament. I'm going to play five in a row, knowing that I unlikely won't get to Mexico. Um, Ricky Fowler's not playing here, but Ricky wanted to take a long break before he started his march towards Augusta and afterwards uh, at the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. So he took off. Uh, he played waste management. He's been he's taking uh, three weeks off. He took off Pebble. He's taken off. He took off Riv and he took off here. Mm-hmm. So, um, so some guys have got they've, they've made their schedules and it sounds like there's it, this year maybe a little bit more of a coincidence. The fact that Mickelson for the first time in a long time isn't exempt into the WGCs at the beginning of the year and had to work on his schedule a little bit. Tiger maybe just just taking a look at the schedule for him, this wasn't going to work out. It sounds like, from what you're saying to me, this is a little bit more of a coincidence and a few things lining up than a reflection of what people think of the tournament playing at this altitude. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what I think about it. I mean, I remember last year, oh, yeah, last year, you know, Justin Rolls was playing, and and he, or it might have been two years ago, and he raved about the challenge that this presents, this golf course presents. So, uh, you know, unless he became miserable with the golf course in four days. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think he, he saw an opportunity for him to get some rest, too, uh, as they go towards Augusta. I mean, that big red flag that is Augusta National is out there for everybody. Oh, yeah. Their target. Oh, yeah. And so what best suits them? It's like we talked to Joey LaCava this year at Torrey Pines, and Joey admitted that he didn't think Tiger had enough tournaments under his belt going into last year's Masters. But in hindsight, it was more beneficial for Tiger to save the wear and tear of one week's golf course, to be one rested. week's golf yep. tournament, to be rested. And that's the case. That was the case with Tiger, and it might be the case again with him this year. Um, with Brooks, I think if Brooks's knee was 100% healthy now, look, he he's never played well. He hasn't played well here, um, so maybe he does doesn't like the place much. But I think if he was 100% healthy, I think he would be here. Mm-hmm. I think Patrick Cantley would have been here if his septum hadn't um damaged, gone, you know, gone awry. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's just an odd year. Now, if this happens next year, where we are missing three of the top 10, five of the top 25, or eight of the top 30, right. then, yeah, then we, we might ask about that. But uh, okay. I haven't heard anybody really um, look at this like they look at the 16th hole at Waste Management say, there's no way I'm playing that golf tournament because that's 16th hole. I haven't heard anybody say that here. So a lot of players, when they're playing in their home national championship, feel a lot of pressure or they get put under the microscope a little bit more. We get this a lot with the Canadian players at the Canadian Open. Rory McIlroy's experienced it at the Irish Open. Um, John Rahm, has, when he plays in Spain, gets you know the, the real stuff. I, I, it's difficult because there's so many great American players and the U.S. Open being a major, that it's a little bit different. What are you expecting this week, and what do you think the crowds will be like for Abraham Answer as he goes around this tournament and plays at this event? Well, last year there were only two massive galleries, the one following Tiger and the one following Abraham Answer. Um, <laughs> so I would be shocked if he doesn't have the biggest galleries. Now, I think he's in a pretty loaded place for starting 
Thursday and Friday. He's in a great pairing, so that alone will make his gallery bigger. But, yeah, the, the, the locals that do come out here, they are going to go see him. Um, and I think a few will go see Rory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, this isn't even, – even though you live here, this isn't an easy golf course to walk. You go downhill, up the hill, downhill, up the hill. And so a lot of the, a lot of the fans here, they camp out. Um, but, uh, well, they're not foolish. I mean, at, at, that, they, at that kind of altitude, yeah. unless you've got crampons and a, maybe a Sherpa to, to bring the water bottles, I'm not sure that I'd be following groups. I think I would find a spot, um, and, and make a day of it. I wonder, so a couple of years ago, I know that you were at the Dell Technologies Championship. I was there. And um, that event being the second event on the PGA Tours, or I should say in the PGA Tours FedEx Cup playoff system, um, was played up at TPC Boston. And going into the final round, which was played on a Monday, on a Labor Day, Abraham Answer had the lead. And I remember I made a point of hanging out in the practice area and around the putting green, watching the guys finish up their preparations. And I saw in his eyes that the moment appeared big for him. And he wasn't able to get it done. He had the lead. Going into the final round, um, he gave it up and, you know, hats off for, for getting himself in that position. The moment didn't seem too big for him when he got to the President's Cup. He has grown as a player, I think, tremendously. Um, is the next step for him, like, what, what, talk about sort of the, what, what you see in him? Because when we were watching everything in Australia and you were there, how does, how does that sort of happen? Like, talk about, or explain to people who may not sort of be, uh, really know this guy a little bit about like how that evolution takes place for a player and the next sort of logical step. The next step to me sounds like winning some tournaments, and this one could be could be the big one because of the support. But explain to me sort of and to people who may not know a lot about this guy what what he's about and and what we think we may be on the cusp of starting to see. Well, he has a quiet confidence, and that confidence grew when Ernie Els, his captain down in uh, Australia at the President's Cup, kept telling him, you're the one of the best players out here. You're one of the best players out here. You're mm. one of the best players out here. And that sinks in. And then he went out and proved it until Tiger, unfortunately, ran into Tiger in singles. But, you know, I think... He didn't play you know, badly. <laughs> no, he didn't. And Tiger would have beat everybody that day. Um, it's just building by build. You know, it, it's... It's just like, it seems it's incremental. It seems it's like, it's, it's, there's yeah. a logical progression, but we, a lot of people who don't follow golf week in and week out maybe haven't caught on to this guy. That, that, that President's he, Cup performance didn't come out of nowhere, did it? No, and he's got a compact swing that repeats. Mm-hmm. And it's not a complicated swing. Mm-hmm. Um, single back, single forward. Um, he never, he rarely ever overswings. He hits fairways. There's another thing. He hits tons of fairways. Mm-hmm. He's not the longest player, but he's got this quiet confidence. Um, if he boasts, the next time he boasts or brags about himself will be the first time, you know. But the President's Cup proved to him that he belongs out here with the best. Um, and again, it takes a while for you to think that way. Um, very few people come out here and think that they're the best right away or that they, they can hang with the best right away. Um, you know, Justin Thomas, who can hang with anybody now, took him about two or three years. Yeah. Now, he always was confident that he'd get there, but he had to get there. Um, and Abraham, I think, is getting into that position. He's in that position now. And so the next progression is his is winning a tournament, um, uh, winning against some of the best players in the world. Um, and then from there, I don't know what that would do for him. 
that could be another trigger that just lets him go and explode. So uh, I'm looking at the field list as we sort of get ready to wrap up the podcast, and I see Shane Lowry's name on there. Do you think he's sobered up since uh, since the British <laughs> Open last year? Because I haven't heard that guy's name once on a leaderboard since last July. Well, it's you know <laughs> sometimes those majors take a lot out of you. I mean. <laughs> It took a lot out of Tiger Woods last year at the Masters. That took a lot out of him physically. <laughs> he wasn't right for about seven months. So uh, I just Shane, look at it. It's well, like, I hope. Yeah, I I, I root for he, Shane. He's I think a that, solid player. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steve. He's been a solid player for a long time, and so I hope people don't think he caught lightning in a bottle at the British Open. Oh no, no, he no. could win again. But uh, yeah, you know. He's had to do a lot of speaking engagements, um, a lot more uh, endorsement uh, deals he has to deal with. And, it was it's a, um, it was just but, a little uh, bit of a joke. Looking at the field, sometimes with the WGCs, there's different ways to qualify for different events, and sometimes you see some names you haven't seen for a while. And it just sort of occurred to me looking down, I'm like, Shane Lowry, I wonder if, I wonder if he's been able to buy his own beer back in Northern Ireland or, in Ireland or any place basically in the UK for the last, say, seven or eight months. I bet not. I bet he hasn't been able to buy a drink or a meal in anywhere on the continent for about eight months. All right, Steve, listen, enjoy your time in Mexico City. Have you scouted out where you're going to eat? I mean, at this point, I've, I've got to be thinking like Mexico City, that would be uh, that would be a good time for some stuff. Where do, you, where do you go when you're away from the golf course? Well, it's one of the greatest neighborhoods. I mean, and people laugh at me, but right across from the hotel, we're, we're in a section of Mexico City that's called Beverly Hills of Mexico City. Okay. Um, so we have these three magnificent hotels, four magnificent hotels right next to each other. Across the street is a Maserati dealership, and a half a block down from the Maserati dealership is a Seven Eleven, and from the Seven Eleven is a Mercedes car dealership. And within ten block radius, I'd say there's at least forty really outstanding restaurants. Like last night, I had some beautiful ravioli, and it. American, it was like about eight bucks. So, yeah, we, we eat well down here, and uh, and it, it's a really good time down here. The people are glad you're here. Um, there's something they about go out of their way to make you happy. There's something about ordering ravioli though in Mexico. Like my father had a saying: well, "Son, when when in Rome, don't order the sushi." Um, I'm not sure that I could pull the trigger on the ravioli in Mexico City, but I'll take your word for it because um, I know that it you came you, out great. Yeah. Listen, enjoy your time in Mexico City. I'll look forward to catching you up soon, buddy. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, David. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.